Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Doors, I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where two brothers don't answer your questions, don't give you dubious advice, and don't bring you news. We just talk about the last 10 years of the world. That's right. In this episode of the pod, it's our special end of decade spectacular, and we're going to be talking about our favorites of this decade. Now, before we start, Hank, Mm -hmm. we do need to establish one thing, which is that lots of people are going to write in and say <laughs> that, that the decade is not ending yeah, yeah, uh-huh. because the decade begins with year one and ends in year 11. Yeah. And that may be true according to some definitions of decade. Two things. First off, the idea of a decade is a made-up idea. Mm-hmm. And secondly, I cannot wait until January 1st, 2021 for this decade to be over. So I hereby officially <laughs> I announce- decided. That yeah. in my mind, mm-hmm. the end of the decade is December 31st, 2019. Well, and people are going to talk about it as the 2010s, you know, and that's going to be yeah, from we 2010 don't remember, to 2019. Yeah, we don't remember the 80s as ending in 1991. We just don't. <laughs> yeah. So we're not going to remember the 2010s or 20-teens or whatever we end up calling them as ending in 2021. It's ending now. This is the end of the decade, at least according to certain colloquial definitions. And what Hank and I are going to do today is go through some of our favorites. You've suggested Mm -hmm. favorites you'd like to hear from our our favorite bridges Mm -hmm. of the decade Mm -hmm. to our favorite songs of the decade, our favorite movies, our favorite rapper of the decade. But Hank, let's start out with our favorite books of the decade. Of course, that's where we will start out. I went deep. I have several questions about this question. Is it books I read this decade or is it books that came out this decade? I'm interpreting it as books I read this decade. I can tell by the notes you have made in this document because I was going (laughs) to have a couple of of, of, uh, corrections. I got a couple oldies. Yeah, that's that's not how I interpreted it. Um, The... It's it's very hard to not be recency biased. I this yep. year read There There by Tommy Orange, and I think I'm feeling like that might have been my favorite book of this decade that was written this decade. Um, it's a great and, book, and I just was, and then I right after and like by chance, right after I read it, he was giving a speech at the university. I didn't know he was going to be there when I started reading the book, and. Uh, and he was just, he blew everybody's socks off. He was so smart. He was so, uh, like his comments were so poignant and it was so insightful. And I also just think that Native American experience in America is really uh, under-examined and really important. And that we don't, and like, and that there's so much great Native literature that we don't look at. Yeah, There There was also one of my favorite books of the year. My favorite book of the decade that was published in the decade Mm -hmm. was Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. That's a book that I think we may be reading in 30 or 50 years. And one of the crazy things about Colson Whitehead is that just two years later, he published another one of my favorite books of the decade, (laughs) uh, The Nickel Boys. 
Um, and, and then I, when I was thinking about this, I, I wasn't just thinking about what are the books that I enjoyed reading the most, mm-hmm. but also what are the books that kind of change the way that I look at the right. world or the yeah. way that I look at, at what literature can do or look at a genre. And so on the YA front, I, I thought I think The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas mm-hmm. was just a tremendously mm-hmm. influential book. Another book that I think we'll read in 50 years to try to f- understand what now felt like. Mm-hmm. There was a book that I don't think is going to make a lot of best of the decade lists because it's a textbook, <laughs> but it did change my life in a, in a pretty deep way and certainly changed the way that I spend my money. Uh, by Dr. Joya Mukherjee called An Introduction to Global Health Delivery that talks about global health and how global health has been addressed historically and why those failures have led to such high child and maternal mortality rates Mm -hmm. in poor countries. And that really changed the way that I think about systems and healthcare systems and the way that systems serve people and expanded my understanding of what might be possible, you know, right. how in the next decade or two, we could see real dramatic progress in the healthcare systems that serve the world's poorest people. So that was a really big book for me. I do think we should make space, though, for the books that we enjoyed reading the most. Space Opera by Kat Valenti was that. It was like Europop, uh, Douglas Adams, but like a 2019 Douglas Adams and uh, it's just hilarious every single line. And then of course the Martian, which I, um, you know, it was, it was the perfect book for me. Yeah. That book like could have been cooked (laughs) up in a Hank green test market (laughs) PR firm. (laughs) They just brought a bunch of Hank greens into a room and said, what do you think about this choice? What about this one? What about this one? Yeah. Just tell me more about the poop potatoes. The funniest book I read this decade was Where'd You Go, Bernadette by Maria Semple, which I just found to be uproarious <laughs> and also very sad and lovely. And I just I just ate it right up. So those are some of our favorite books of the decade. Hank. John. We're going to move on to one of our listener suggestions. So we asked our listeners, what kind of favorites do you want to hear from us? Mm-hmm. And one person wrote in to say, I want to hear about John's favorite poem of the decade and Hank's favorite dad joke of the decade. <laughs> like a uh, poet like that we featured on the show or just broadly? I don't know. Do you have a broadly favorite dad joke of the decade? Well, Again, I mean, recency my... bias is going to play a huge role in this. But but to be fair, your best dad joke of the decade did happen like five weeks ago. Well, my best dad joke of the decade, like my favorite one that I that I heard was mm-hmm. w- has been on the podcast. Well, wh- say it. It doesn't. Not everybody listens to every episode. That's I don't true. even listen to every episode. That's I zone true. out for like the whole time you're doing the dad joke. What was it? <laughs> and then you just groan. It was the one that you really liked. Uh, so a Greek playwright wa- walks into the tailor with some some uh, some jeans, and he hands him the tailor, and the tailor says, "Euripides." And then, <laughs> and then he replies, "Humanities." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's just oh, too good. Oh, it's perfect. My favorite poem of the decade, recency bias acknowledged, mm-hmm. is by Paige Lewis from their book Space Struck, which is one of my favorite books of the decade. I can't read the whole thing. It's it's long, and I, you'll hear it on a future episode of Ars Poetica, our show at the Poetry Foundation. But what I love about this poem is that it's funny, <laughs> and then it gets very dark, and that's my kind of that's my kind of poetry. It's called "The Terre Haute Planetarium Rejected My Proposal." for more tactile audience participation. (laughs) And sure, their decision makes sense if you consider the fact that no one likes being pelted by meteorites, if you consider the fact that I'm a miserable excuse for a planet. And then later in that poem, Hank, there's a part that I think will really resonate with you, which goes, I'm like a snake who, having swallowed its fill of goose eggs, can no longer escape through the gaps in the cage. Oh. Dang. Mm. Mm, I have had my fill of goose eggs. <laughs> I had a lot of goose eggs in this decade. 
I'm a little overstuffed, and it's a little bit hard to get through the little. It's a little bit hard to get out of the cage. Yeah. Oh gosh. Is that is that just like a metaphor for getting older, where you just like you get to, you get sort of too much in you, and you can't get out anymore? I think it's also a metaphor for, you know, getting stuff, getting collecting power, collecting right. mm-hmm. resources. I remember when I was 22, and I needed to move. It took me about four hours to pack up my car with all of my belongings yeah. and drive them to a different place. You were such a sleek little snake. You were so so wiggly and little, and you could fit you could fit through the holes in a screen window, John. Now I'm about to go on a 10-hour road trip with my children <laughs> for a five-day Christmas vacation, <laughs> and uh, we are seriously considering having to put one of those ridiculous things on top of the car. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've had my fill of goose eggs. Hey, Hank. Yes. Euripides? (laughs) Eumenides? (laughs) Just a couple of old friends running into each other. What was your favorite TV show of the decade? Uh, it's hard. Uh, again, That's, it's not hard. It's not hard. You're incorrect. There's so many different kinds of TV show now. I know. That's very true. Um, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> and I'm right. It is the best TV show of the decade by at least I, an order of magnitude. I stopped watching it. And so oh, I don't know. Oh, I haven't. God. I'm not caught How? up. How? Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I'm All not... right. What was your best TV show of the decade? Um, Watchmen. I, I well, it's on my list. That's my that's my hour long drama. Yes. Okay. Is Watchmen. Um, it was and, Watchmen and that... was one of the ten best hour long dramas of the decade. But yeah. it was several orders of magnitude behind <laughs> the best hour long drama of the decade. <laughs> okay. Well, we, we now we have to because we've done it for so long. Not we we we're gonna give a little more space before we find out what John's favorite uh, hour-long drama is. What's your favorite half-hour comedy? To be honest, I didn't really watch any television this decade except for (laughs) Watchmen and the Americans. (laughs) So as is generally the case with people who have extremely strong opinions, my opinion is not very (laughs) well-informed. Oh, that's that's one of the best takes I've heard this decade. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my favorite my favorite TV show of the decade was The Americans, which is about um, it's it's about marriage. And there have almost never there's almost never been a TV show, at least that I know of, mm-hmm. that has explored like the longitudinality of marriage. And admittedly, it's not a normal marriage. They cheat on each other constantly because they're Russian spies and they have to sleep with people (laughs) as part of their spying. (laughs) But somehow, despite that obstacle, it managed to be a really loving show about marriage and family and parenting in extremely weird circumstances. Mm -hmm. Plus, I loved the setting of the early 1980s, a time I hadn't seen dramatized much on television. Like, for example, the bed in the Americans, Mm -hmm. like the frame of the bed with the like, with these like brass uh, sides and everything was our parents' bed Mm -hmm. when we were kids. Yeah. And... So it just there was there was that like the pleasure of recognition of one's past. But I just thought the show was so fascinating in the way that it explored long term relationship dynamics and like a a reasonably. I mean, it seems weird to say this since they were always sleeping with other people and murdering and everything, but like a reasonably good (laughs) marriage. Not idealistically good or anything, but reasonably good where they had to find a lot of common ground and they had to like you know, figure out their shared values and they had to like come to consensus with parenting and stuff, including parenting around questions of whether or not to turn their daughter into a Russian spy. <laughs> That's what I stopped so watching. I, yeah, I'll go, yeah, I hear you. It, it took some twists and turns, but the last season was was perfect. So anyway, I just, I, I thought it was, for me, it was destination television and it might be the last time I experienced that feeling of destination television where like mm-hmm. every Thursday evening I'd be like it's happening right yeah yeah I, I 
I can't do that. It's very hard for me to, to be at the mercy of the television schedule, unfortunately, uh, which sort of oh, means yeah. that I, I can't be a part of the zeitgeist in that way right now. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's much less relevant than it used to be anyway. Yeah, yes. What was your favorite uh, comedy of the decade or 30-minute show of the decade? I'm not sure whether it was Community or The Good Place. Um, when I look Both back shows. at Community... Um, I just, I remember a lot of the sort of, you know, everyday episodes, but then of course I like remember those big, big moment episodes where they like did very strange things and, and, but like in a way that, um, that like made very good sense for the tone of the show and the characters and the themes of the show. And also like, it was ultimately mostly like, as is the thing that I that I like most is a show about good people in normal situations, <laughs> and Chevy Chase. <laughs> yeah, I guess. The, and I feel the same way about Parks and Rec, but like that doesn't quite hit like my personal brand of humor exactly on the head the way that Community does. And then The Good Place is just like so special in that it uh, it is you know has a lot of laugh lines, but then also um, is trying to outline. Uh, really Ethics. big, really big questions about how to be a person, which is not, which right. is not normal. Yeah, no, the Good Place is a great show. I've I've really enjoyed it. I there was a, I mean, a, a couple other things I really enjoyed this decade on television. Um, Deadliest Catch. <laughs> Watched a lot of that. When I was yeah. signing 150,000 copies of The Fault in Our Stars, I watched all of Deadliest Catch. Wow. Like, I started to understand how Deadliest Catch is edited in such a deep way that I started to think to myself, you know, I could I could make Deadliest Catch. <laughs> like if you gave me <laughs> no. the raw footage, yeah. I could construct an episode. Oh, you totally could. It's a lot of work. I don't I have friends who work on reality TV shows and the Oh, it's a ton of work. Of footage that they have to work with. Yes. I'm like, it's, boy. Yeah. I I have like a 2 to 1 ratio of footage to final cut. <laughs> and that is not not how it goes. I have them. like a 12 to 1 ratio, uh, but yeah, that even that is not anywhere close. So yeah, I don't know. There's there, it's, it's a great time to be, you know, Mad Men was this decade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and my top reality show is either Bake Off or RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, my top reality yeah. show is probably the, the reinvigorated Queer Eye. I like it a lot. I have weirdly complicated feelings about it that I need to desperately need to make an hour-long video about okay i look forward to that i just think queer eye the new queer eye is such an amazing exploration of how to feel like a valued member of society and it's like each Mm -hmm. one of those guys is a different way that we feel valued and i like if you actually examine it through that lens i think that there's like really good insight hiding in there and not like hiding super like beneath the surface like it's it's disgust but but also that some of the some of the ways that we find value are you know very clearly only accessible to people who have the resources to find them and that that show is a really good way of sort of like realizing that i agree let's move on hank what was your favorite trip of this decade my favorite trip was probably when uh catherine and oren and i when oren was six months old went to amsterdam for VidCon London. And the first few days were terrible because VidCon was happening at the same time as my six-month-old was trying to adjust to a new sleep schedule. But then after that, um, Catherine and I just sort of did Amsterdam and had like this weird hotel room, like literally looking down on a fair that they had built in the like plaza square because it it just happened to be the week when that was happening and so i could just like walk downstairs and get weird dutch fair food and uh, you can walk anywhere and it's beautiful and we went to kuchenhof gardens where all the tulips are and it it just happened to be during the like one month period when kuchenhof is perfect and we like had Orin like sit down with the tulips and just look perfect or like surrounded by perfection and it was just really special to have like a 
uh, uh, sort of la- like, and we kind of knew that it was going to be our last time we were going to get to uh, as a as a couple for a long time go on a big vacation because you know it's hard to travel with kids. Yeah, it gets harder as they get older. Although eventually it gets easier. Yeah, Kenry and I went to London last year and had an awesome time. Yes, one of my favorite trips of this decade was the two months that Sarah and I spent in Amsterdam. Henry was one. Then, oh, right. Yeah. And it was an awesome trip. And it was wonderful to spend so much time in the Netherlands. It probably would have been my favorite trip of the decade if I hadn't needed my gallbladder removed. Right. And therefore mm-hmm. been in a lot of pain <laughs> for almost the entirety yeah. of the, the trip. That was a real bummer. Plus, I was finishing The Fault in Our Stars and I was kind of in a weird... I was in a weird place emotionally. So I would say my best trip of the decade, it's a four-way tie, <laughs> and it's the it's the four times we went to Jamaica. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, Sarah, I don't, I, Sarah I don't do and I that. love Jamaica. We love being there. We love everything about, about it, and it's my favorite time of the year. <laughs> Can I come next time? Mm, no. <laughs> no, it's kind of just a Sarah okay. and me thing. No, absolutely. I, I respect that. We'll find some other place. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there, it's a big island. You can right. go to Jamaica. You just can't go to Jamaica <laughs> with us. All right. Our next category, John, can we do favorite songs of the decade? And can yes. you do it without the mountain goats? No. But I will limit it to one Mountain Goat song, one favorite Mountain Goat (laughs) song of the decade um, from their album Goths, which, of course, I loved because, Hank, you and I Uh were both, I guess, proto-Goths in the early 1990s. And that album really harkened back to those days. Uh, And my favorite song on the album was the song Abandoned Flesh, which is about the other side of the mountain, a topic that has been on our mind, I would say, throughout the second half of this decade. <laughs> How do you deal with being on, you know, on the other side of the mountain when it comes to some huge rush of, uh, of popularity or, or, or whatever? And that song is about a, uh, a band, a largely forgotten goth band you know, if, uh, many, many years after the end of their active period of fame. And it includes so many great lines, uh, but one very near the end of the song is, the world will never know or understand the suffocated splendor of the once and future goth band. And I just love that line. I just love it. So I'm kind of a lyrics-driven person, as you know, Hank. For I am also the same. And uh, one of my faves, here's, here's a line for you. I'm stunting on everybody. Hella raw, past the wasabi. I'm so low that my scrotum's almost dragging up on the concrete. And what is that from? From Macklemore's Downtown, the song about oh. mopeds. That is a... That is a weird pick for best song <laughs> of the decade. It's so good. I'm gonna. Uh, okay. All right. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna yuck on your yum. It's I'm so good. Say I think that's great. It's so good. Uh, I have others uh, though. Um, okay. Uh, Restless Year by Ezra Furman is a, an absolute banger. So is Crushed by Tessa Violet. Always on my playlist. Um, Brandy Carlisle's The Joke. Um, also really, I don't know. I just love Brandy Carlisle and, um, it's, she's great. Great to see her appreciated and growing and continuing to make amazing music. Yeah, for sure. A couple more favorites from me, Taylor Swift's blank space, which I think is an absolute bop and will be like remembered as one of the songs of the decade. When we look back on sure, of course. what things felt like, at least before 2016, I think that's what, that's kind of part of what they felt like. Also, uh, it's hard to pick a favorite J. Cole song for me, but uh, I guess I would pick uh, Fire Squad. I just think it's a really deep, 
fascinating song. It also contains one of the greatest lines in rap music. So ahead of my time, even when I rhyme about the future, I be reminiscing. Oh, <laughs> God. Uh, so many, so many great J. Cole lines. I mean, that song is about how uh, people are constantly debating, like, who's on the throne as, like, the current greatest rapper alive and all, right. of, the, all of the things that are problematic about the idea mm-hmm. of the throne. Yeah. A- and yet at the same time, with that song, J. Cole kind of announced his right. arrival on the throne. <laughs> but by the way, so it's I me. just uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> like uh there is no greatest rapper alive, but I think we all know that it is me. <laughs> um other other greatest songs of the decade, I can't I can't put down the best sort of da- dance songs of the decade which have to be Uptown Funk, Party Rock Anthem and Gangnam Style. Has to be. Sorry, that's just how it is. I mean, Uptown Funk definitely somewhat less sold on Gangnam Style as one of the top songs of the decade. <laughs> I go, it's so good. We just dis- we disagree on it, so much. That's okay. It's a bop. If I so if I had to pick the greatest mm-hmm. dance song of the decade, it would be by the Avett Brothers. Is it oh. the Avett Brothers? The Avett Brothers? I I don't really know how you say their names. Okay, but they are a folk rock duo. And they can they can rock out. Wow. And uh, their album I and Love and You, which was produced by Rick Rubin, the guy who produced the Beastie Boys and all those great Johnny Cash albums at the end of Johnny Cash's career, full of bops, straight, unrelenting bops. Um, it's hard to even pick a favorite song off of that album. But I guess for me, it would be the perfect space. I couldn't even tell you one of their songs. Oh, I want to have pride like my mother had and not like the kind in the Bible that turns you bad. I don't feel like this is songs for dancing. It's songs for very slow dancing. You're <laughs> mostly just kind of moving your head just a little bit to the left okay. and a little bit to the right. Wow. Okay. John. Yes. What's your favorite sports moment of the decade? It's a tough one. It's a hard one, Hank. I've had some good. I've had some good sports moments this downs. decade. Had some bad yep. ones. Yep. Ha- I've had some. I've had some heartbreak. Uh-huh. A lot of devastation. My favorite sports moment this decade. I know recency bias might be factoring into this, but Liverpool winning the Champions League mm-hmm. felt pretty good. <laughs> 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 felt felt pretty felt pretty pretty darn good. And then just after you know after Liverpool won the Champions League to be in a bar in New York City with Akilah Hughes, who has no relationship to Liverpool, <laughs> drinking beers in pretty quick succession, singing songs about Bobby Firmino and Virgil van Dijk and Divock Origi and the other <laughs> God, heroes of so that lost. wonderful night in Madrid. Uh-huh. It That is a memory I will long treasure. And then coming home on Alice's birthday, and asking Alice, how old are you? And her saying six and me saying, and how many times has Liverpool won the European championship? And her smiling so big and saying, six. <laughs> just oh, just God. magic. I mean, so special. Uh, you know, it just, uh, just an incredible feeling. Followed closely by seeing Wimbledon promoted to the third tier of English football with our dad and Rosiana and, and Meredith and, and Stuart. Those were both great moments, but, you know, yeah, I, I don't know. They were both 1A and 1B. Hard to pick a favorite. Both were really good. Um, mine uh, come, are all like Olympic stuff because when I thought about this question, I was like, I don't really watch a lot of sports. And then I was like, oh, I watched the freaking Olympics and I, God, I love, love the it. Olympics. So I think best sports moment of the decade, 2016 Summer Olympics, uh, U.S. women's gymnastics, Simone Biles, etc., just blowing everyone's mind over and over and over again. Yeah, um, that was good. Yeah, I, 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 I want to keep, I want to keep feeling that feeling so much, and that must be what it's like for you with your, with your sports stuff. It's what it's like sometimes, and then other times it's just <laughs> no the pure, what? unadulterated the heartbreak. The want for the feeling is what is what it is. 
Right. You're always wanting that feeling, but there's only one way to get it. Yes, it does. It, I mean, sports allow me to feel things with a sense of purity and uncomplication that the rest of the world does not allow me to feel things. Roger yeah. Bennett of the great podcast Men in Blazers was the first person to kind of uh, articulate that for me. But it's only through sports that I can hug strangers in joy and in sorrow. It's only through sports that I can feel just really pure elation or pure mm -hmm. sadness. You I don't know. know. I mean, not not only through sports. There are other ways to feel pure elation and pure sadness. But it's just a wonderful, wonderful path to feeling, to like being close yeah. to the something essential. So we all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but there are two things that you shouldn't compromise on. One is name brand Dr. Pepper. The off-brand stuff just doesn't hit the same. And another is, of course, your health. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines or their family group chat or the crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat basically any condition you're searching for. And the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. So go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash Dear Hank. Essential about human experience, something essential about, about emotional experience. I don't know if this one's going to work, Hank, but I wanted to ask it. Okay. Somebody suggested your favorite Cheeto guy moment. Mm. And for those who don't know, Cheeto guy, I actually don't think he, they were actually Cheetos. I think they were a different kind of cheesy dibbles. But there's a famous video in which a guy is like walking across Antarctica and he's left a package for himself, and he has forgotten that in this package that he left for himself, he included some form of Cheetos or Cheesy Dibbles. And he gets so excited. He goes, yeah! <laughs> so and he gets, he's, he's almost in tears. He's yeah. so shocked and excited and overjoyed. Did you have a moment like that this decade? Um, yeah, I totally did. I had multiple moments like that this decade. Um, I think uh, that having a child, not like just the moment, like in the moment I wasn't like, like, like throw my arms up in excitement, but like there's a lot of relief that comes with it. There's a lot of sort of just like euphoric, um, you know, like everything's okay kind of feeling. But then the entire process of raising a child is, it, there are many moments like that where you're like, oh my gosh, you could do that now. and and he gets very excited and that makes me very excited. Um, mm -hmm. I also had that definitely with publishing my book when, you know, when certain people would say very nice things, it would be like, okay, well, I'm just going to turn my computer off and this is going to be the feeling that I'm feeling for a little while. I'm going to have that and hold it and not like discount it, not try and like, you know, try to explain it away, but just like hold on to the feeling of like, I made something it took a long time. I worked really hard and people like it. Yeah, the most dramatic feeling like that I've ever had in my professional life was in 2007 when your video was featured on the front page of YouTube. Absolutely, and, yeah. yeah. And, and I went from having like a very normal day to having an overjoyed day. Mm -hmm. And then the other one was in January of 2006 when I found out I'd won the Prince Award for Looking yeah. for Alaska. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. was just a pure, like like a bolt of lightning out of out of a clear blue sky mm -hmm. and, and a really joyous occasion. But I did have a, have a couple this decade. I agree with you that like the, the moment you're, you're, you know, like your kids take their first steps, for mm -hmm. instance, yeah. is just like, oh my gosh. But you kind of see it coming. 
You know, like you. Yeah, a little bit. I was actually a little bit surprised because we weren't alone. Our friend was over and our friend who has kids was just sort of like, Oren was holding onto the table and standing up and our friend was like, come over. And Oren just like walked over to her and we were like, those were, that was it. That was, you did it. It just happened. You did it. What? Oh, that's great. Yeah. So it was a little bit surprising. So, so I'd always been published in the UK, but always for like extremely paltry advances. Like mm-hmm. I think $800 was maybe my biggest advance in the UK, something like that. Yeah. And when The Fault in Our Stars was published, I'd already signed a book deal with, you know, with my American publisher years before. And so, I, you know, I got, I got paid a reasonable amount for it, but like, you know, like normal, right. not Right, six I, figures or whatever. Yeah, people people often think that authors make lots of money because their their books are in stores, but most author, authors are just working, you know. Yeah, and to be yeah, th- and that was my experience until the Fault in Our Stars, and then things got very crazy. But the first like way I knew that things were going to be very different, and like this this like big moment that really did change my life was that I I just said no when they asked me for the UK rights. I just told all of the publishers no, and I was like, "No, I don't want to publish there, and I don't, I don't like it. I don't like this eight hundred dollars book deal." I don't like, I don't like the way you've treated me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, a little bit. I, I did kind of take it a little personally, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, so for the first couple of weeks after the Fault in Our Stars was published, like people were importing copies of the book from the U.S. Right. And there were all these people telling me like I, I just couldn't keep doing this, and I was like, yeah, I think I can. Like everything seems to be people going are buying fine. them. Yeah, it's a global world. Yeah, and then uh, a, a, a U.K. publisher called me and said, um, "Well, how much would it cost?" And so I thought of the of the biggest number I could possibly think of, mm-hmm. and they just said yes. <laughs> That's that is that is a really good feeling. I think that it's important to recognize that like like the the feeling of knowing that you're going to be okay. Can oh be... yeah, I mean it, almost no one ever gets to feel yeah. that feeling and like and I, I certainly never expected to mm-hmm. to feel it and like in that moment I was just like, "Oh. Oh my god. Okay. Great. Thank you. Oh, great. Yes. Done." It it was a little bit like Hank. I don't know if <laughs> totally. you remember. I, 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 Have we told this story on the pod before? I don't know. It's oh my god. I think we should. One I, of I don't my, know if we should tell the story. One of should my we weird... tell the story but not name the network? <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. We shouldn't name the network. Uh, All right. So yeah. <laughs> early on in like maybe two thousand, I don't know when it was. It was at some this point. Decade. Hank yeah. and I were in talks with a cable network. Yeah. About a development deal. Uh-huh. And the thing that we were really excited about was like making YouTube videos out of their awesome library of content. Mm-hmm. Like we thought like these people have an amazing library. They have access to all this footage that we don't have access to. Mm-hmm. This could be so many cool YouTube shows. Right. And they just wanted us to make like a regular TV show that we didn't have much interest in making. But at the same time, like we didn't have a ton of money and like we definitely wanted money. Yeah. I mean, and it was so, interesting. Like, like maybe this would be an interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it would be like a way to kind of professionalize mm-hmm. this stuff that we'd been doing and like make a good living from it. And so we had all these meetings and all these like we flew out there yeah. and we, back and forth and yada, yada. And then they sent us an email and the email offered us a two-year deal mm-hmm. for, for $2,000. Don't, don't say what the number was. It was $2,000. Okay. <laughs> and I, I, re- I replied to John, and I yep. wrote back, this number is literally missing two zeros. That is what you replied, but you did not reply just to me. <laughs> <laughs> you replied to everyone. Yeah. You reply all. This number is missing two zeros. <laughs> <laughs> this number is literally missing two zeros. And and they wrote back and they, they said, okay. Back. Yes. And I was, was like, if you one. were going to give us 
$200,000. If that was on the table and you offered us 2000 I will never work in your world ever. I won't just not work with you. I won't work with anyone from your town. Yeah. We lowballed you by 99%. You accidentally replied all. And we 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 felt that you were calling our bluff, and so yes, we will go up by a factor of one hundred. That was the that was the summary of the deal. And then Hank was like, "No, no way, not for all the not for all the tea in China." <laughs> Just, you know what? You know what? Instead, why don't I build my own company and do it all by myself with a lot of help? John, what was your favorite conversation you had this year? To, to be honest, the best conversations I had this year were probably the opportunities I had to be part of people's Make-A-Wish. Mm-hmm. So having an hour or two to really, you know, mm-hmm. talk to talk to someone who cared about my work and listen to them about their lives. And yeah, I don't know. I've just, I always find those conversations to be yeah. really, really wonderful. And I guess chief among them, and it was in 2010, this gets to another important topic, uh, which somebody wanted to hear about our favorite bridge Mm -hmm. of the decade. Okay. So this is my favorite bridge of the decade as well, was being part of Esther's Make-A-Wish and having a day with Esther and her her friends where, and her parents and and her sister. Yeah. You know, where we could all just talk together about life and death and Esther's family did such a wonderful job of I remember they had this like a volleyball that had a lot of different topics on it and we could kind of throw the volleyball to each other and Mm -hmm. then there would be a question and sometimes it'd be like a light question sometimes it'd be a really deep question like what do you think happens after death and then other times it would be like what's your favorite Harry Potter character and we would all kind of go around the room, Esther's parents and her sister and Esther and all her friends and me talking about uh, talking about these big questions. And I thought that just gave us a, uh, a structure to, the, to the, that first conversation. And then later in the day, we all went to like a coffee shop, which Esther just really wanted to do. She wanted to get like coffee and, and gelato and you know, I guess kind of maybe imagine a a world of being, you know, a, a, I always thought of it as imagining being in the world of a, of a 20-something who goes and gets like coffee with her friends, you know. Mm-hmm. And she was in a wheelchair and we all took turns pushing the wheelchair across this big bridge. And it was one of those bridges that you can see through the grates to the mm-hmm. ground below to like the river below. And I was so freaked out. Like I hate heights. <laughs> I hate being able to see I see through a, a surface that I'm walking on. And they were all like at first they were making fun of me, which is totally appropriate, you know, because I'm, <laughs> I'm an adult. And it was like, you know, yeah, appropriate to make fun of me for that. Um, but that, but then like Esther was like, became very empathetic about it. And she was like, no, it is scary. (laughs) 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 Um, and then we went to, yeah, we went to, so we crossed this bridge. That was my favorite bridge of the decade. And we, you know, we got coffee and gelato and, uh, yeah, talked about, talked about life and death and Mm -hmm. it was just great. It was just really, that was a very special day in my life and one that I will always be grateful for. It means a lot, as you know, Hank, when somebody wants to include you in a moment that's so important to them. Mm-hmm. That's great. And it's it's also great to, to sort of see that that conversation was something that was a little bit guided, you know, like it doesn't have to be this yeah. like, wonderful, spontaneous thing that happens when you're in a foreign place. But like, you know, friends, people who know each other deciding to have a conversation together. Um, is not right. does not make that less special, um, and and in that vein, I think that like probably a lot of the best conversations and my favorite conversations that I've had this decade have been, uh, you know, between the cracks on Dear Hank and John or recorded live on Dear Hank and John. Some of the stuff doesn't make it in, 
uh, when we just start to chat um, and and when we yeah. talk before and afterward, I I do love talking to you. And I don't know that we say that to each other that much. Um, and it's great to have somebody who like sort of knows all the same things as me, has all the, like all very similar values to me and sort of I feel like is always going to be there. Um, and uh, when I'm having a rough time, when I'm frustrated by something, when someone's let me down, when I feel like I've let someone else down and isn't like there to like excuse me, but is there to uh, help me uh, feel okay about being in my own shoes and uh and being in this world right now that's kind of you to say yeah i i feel the same way we have actually had fewer fights i would say in the (laughs) 2010s than we had in the 2000s yeah even though we've had far more time together almost uh, as far more conversations (laughs) yeah almost (laughs) as if communication helps with that it does, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we really... I, I, I only remember one fight in the 2010s. Yeah, no, me too. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, there were two. There, 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 were, there were two. There was the one fight where you said, stop looking at me, yeah, no, and I said, I don't know where very, to put my very eyes. High, very high-stressed moment, yeah. And there was... A, yeah, there was another one more recently. What what were we fighting about? The one I remember more recently was, is not for the pod. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so we're going to cut here and I'll explain to Hank what it was. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, it's, it's interesting that we didn't really have any arguments on tour mm. in 2012 or, t- or last yeah, year or 2017, whereas we did have a number of arguments in 2008 when we were on tour. But I think the difference might've been yeah. that in 2008, we were in a minivan right, and we were together for time. 18 hours a day yeah and and for and for weeks weeks yeah. i don't man uh that was and, and oh. also we traded from the chrysler town and country to the kia sedona halfway through and it was just yeah. like it was like trading from being inside of like like michael phelps's body to suddenly being in my own <laughs> You know, and it's just like I moments ago felt like a god in that town and country, and now I just feel like I'm rolling down the the street, and the and the tires are made of ham. <laughs> it really, it really was like a Flintstone vehicle, like the Chrysler Town and Country, and and we're not here to advertise one brand over another. <laughs> was the greatest vehicle I have ever oh been inside God. of. Oh my God, it was, I was so, it was like so next level to what I had always driven before then. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been a passenger in a Tesla Model X and not for a second <laughs> did I ever think it was as nice as that 2007 yeah. Chrysler Town and Country. <laughs> I still see those old Town and Countries driving around and I'm like, hello, friend. I miss I, you. It's crazy to me that they stopped making them. Like, how did the town no, and country not and on its own keep Chrysler in business? They, I think they still make them. They don't. The last year was 2016. Oh. I don't want to get a minivan in the sense that I, I'm a big believer in, like, keeping your cars until mm-hmm. right. they, no longer, they no longer function as cars. And yeah. I've had my Chevy Volt for eight years now, and it's a great car, and I have no complaints. But... I I will confess that when I see a minivan, like when I my friend Chris has a minivan, and when I see him get into that minivan, every time I think like, oh, wouldn't that be the life? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I know. I like the that's the only reason I want to have another kid is so I can like justify a minivan. <laughs> I see him open up those side doors just by like pressing something in the roof, and I just think, oh my mm. god, oh, that's that. awesome! The future is now. It's like Star Trek. That's my favorite. Our favorite car of the decade. It's the Chrysler Town. Oh, no, I mean, country. our favorite car of the decade. There's no no competition. It's the Chrysler Town and Country. <laughs> oh boy, we've been at this for a long time. This all, all of this stuff that we've done, John. <laughs> There was another question that was like, what is your favorite, like, weird enthusiasm that you discovered? And the Marble Olympics mm. was definitely that for me, where I was just like, oh, this is perfect, and I love everything about it. I love that question, though, because it makes you look back on the last 10 years mm-hmm. and understand that the stuff that you're into has changed and grown and yeah. expanded in ways that 2010 me could never have imagined. Yeah. Like if I told 2010 me, you know what you're going to start doing? 
gardening. <laughs> 2010 me would have been like, uh, sh- mm, not interested. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I cannot wait to find mm-hmm. out what 2020s me enjoys. Yeah. Yeah. And that like, it's, it's funny, like those things arrive in your life and you have no idea you're going to, to, to want them. And then suddenly you do so deeply. Um, yeah. yeah. And I also kind of thought that when I was younger, I kind of thought that adulthood meant like finding what you were into and then just like staying there for 50 years. Right. Yeah. Rather than like making a series of ongoing discoveries about right. the world and yourself that opens up all kinds of new interests and passions. Like our mom is a great example of this. Our mom showed absolutely no interest that I can remember in making art until she was like 58 years old and now she is a very accomplished painter. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I think it's great. I can't wait. What am I gonna be into in 10 years, I Hank? know. Am like, I gonna be like really into like electronic music yeah that's that's another thing like we talked about like the best songs of the decade but there's also like the songs that i found out about this decade that i didn't know about before that are old as heck but uh but i didn't know about them uh there's a song by elo called i'm alive and now it's my song that i listen to when the plane takes off i Mm. get it ready and like as the plane starts to go i turn it on and it's just like i'm amped i'm ready to get into the sky and i it's funny (laughs) i have a song like that but yeah it's it's not an amped song (laughs) it's hard traveling by woody guthrie um that i listen to when i'm like in an airport or the plane's taking off Mm -hmm. um yeah and it's just a song about i mean i will admit that woody guthrie had had significant harder traveling than i do (laughs) (laughs) certainly more work per mile it's a great song though yeah great song well, honestly, Hank, I think this has been our best ever end of decade spectacular. I, I agree. One thing that I will say about it is we recorded a little long and I'm pretty hungry now. Yeah, I was also saying that as a way of wrapping up because I got to go home and pack my car full to the absolute gills and hope I do not have to put a car top carrier on top of my car (laughs) for a four-day family trip. You'll survive. You'll survive. This podcast is a co-production of WNYC and Complexly. It is edited in this particular case by Nicholas Jenkins. Thank you, Nick, for editing this episode. It's produced by Roseanne Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. The music that you're listening to right now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola, and as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to, to be, be awesome. awesome.